online at finleyvolvo.com. Don't miss The Rich Eisen Show following the morning tailgate. Weekday mornings at 10 here on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, KRLV Las Vegas. Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. We're talking tweets. Brandon Bolden of the Raiders with a uh, cryptic tweet kind of alluding to something that might uh, be happening or some sort of anticipation of some move or something that's about ready to happen. And he was talking about uh, how suspenseful it was. Um, if it's Raiders related, we're all, we're all waiting. We're all waiting to see uh, what that might mean. Uh, we're talking who's that guy. Luka Donich is definitely that guy. I think he showed that last night. But even if you're that guy, you got to have some people around you. Uh, they're going to be able to uh, to help you along. We saw that from... People forget because, you know, the history books, it's almost 40 years later anyway, 30, 30, definitely 30 years or so. Um, it took Michael Jordan seven years to win his first NBA championship. People just think nowadays, like if you were to talk to my kids, they know better because I've taught them well. But, you know, if you were to talk to, you know, uh, my son's 17 years old, my daughter's 15 years old, if you were to talk to maybe to their classmates, um, they would think probably that Michael Jordan won a championship every single year he ever played. He was that good. He was the basketball. He was the best player to ever play the game. And there's an argument to be made that he definitely was. But for the first six years of his career, that didn't matter squat. There were better teams than his teams. The Boston Celtics were better. The Lakers were better. The Detroit Pistons were better. And he was getting bounced in the playoffs by those Eastern Conference Celtics and Pistons before all of that kind of cleared out. And then his time came with a really good team that the Bulls put around him. If you talk to, obviously, Michael Jordan was going to get his regardless. He was putting up like 63 at times, but it was when Scottie Pippen became Scottie Pippen and uh, all the other players, Dennis Rodman and all the other uh, uh, supporting casts showed up uh, and grew up that he became what he became, uh, a juggernaut and a champion. We're going to go out uh, to the Raider Nation uh, listener line, Raider Nation radio listening, listener line. Uh, we're going to go all the way to Louisiana uh, to talk to Brody Miller. He covers LSU uh, football for The Athletic, and he was kind enough to join us in the huddle to talk uh, a little bit about the LSU Tigers and specifically uh, about a new Raider, uh, rookie Neil Farrell, uh, the defensive tackle that the Raiders drafted out of LSU. Brody, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, all right. Before we get to Neil Farrell, um, I need to ask you about Brian <laughs> Kelly. I am a uh, huge Notre Dame fan, and uh, oh, I'm man. one of the I'm one of the probably I guess few that are left that are very thankful for what Brian Kelly did at Notre Dame. It cannot be understated um, where that program was when he got there and what he turned it into. No, they didn't win a national championship, uh, but they were in the mix and. 
to me at Notre Dame where he got him. I'm not going to say that that's the ceiling. We'll see if there's a ceiling that yeah. is a little bit higher. But he got him pretty darn high compared to how it had been for the previous 20 years or so. So I'm not here bashing Brian Kelly. I don't care how much of a uh, Louisiana accent he tried to have uh, at that rally uh, that, got, that got made fun of. I think he's a, a really good football coach. So i got to ask you, um, what's been the reaction so far uh, to Brian Kelly down there in Louisiana? Yeah, I think the, well, I think the reaction is probably a little bit of, yeah, wait and see. A little bit of, hey, this, who is this guy who's coming in here and doing things so differently and all that. But, but in reality, I think through these four months, the big thing that people are kind of noticing slowly but surely is the part that you are well aware of is, quite frankly, seeing a guy who just knows how to run a program. Yes. You know what I mean? And that is his strength, right? He is, I hate the term CEO because it kind of takes on its own connotation now, but he is one of the, three best CEOs in the country and that and saying otherwise is kind of get taking credit away from what he did at Notre Dame and so many other places. So I think the tricky thing with LSU, and I don't mean this to bash past coaches because they won titles, but they have kind of been run by guys who aren't exactly great program runners and that owes John Les Miles for about eighteen years. And I think they're and they still won two titles at that time. And I think there's a sense just these four months and, and I'll admit it seeing it up close of they have a grown-up running the room now. They have a guy who knows how to run this program. And I think Scott Woodward, the athletic director's belief, is like, hey, this is kind of a, this is a, a sports car that has not been well run. If you finally, even if Brian Kelly isn't the mastermind, or even if he's not the guy that's going to, like, you know, exceed your talent and all that stuff, if you get a guy in there who just flat out knows how to run a program, this this is something that should be making the playoffs consistently. And I think that is the mentality. It's way too early to say that, of course, but I really do think you can see the, the accountability changes and kind of the, the bad eggs getting out of there already. You see the just the structure improving and those things. That's going to take two or three years, of course. He's inheriting a tough situation, but I do think he's proving he knows how to run that thing, and my gut feeling right now is he will have them you know, I, like, I never like to say make the playoff, but in that hunt in the next two or three years. Yeah, and Brody, I'm sure you've done your research, but uh, if you haven't, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll point you because <laughs> obviously he was the, 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 the coach of the team that I rooted for. And you just, the, the, what you just, how you just portrayed him is perfect because that's exactly what he is as a CEO. And if you go into his past, he was actually making a decision on which direction to take his career. And uh, it came down to, if I remember correctly, being a coach or going into politics. Um, He was that close. You know, he was, yeah, exactly. He was that close uh, to going into politics. So when you, when you talk about the attributes that you just talked about, it's kind of along those lines. And I think that it's going to be a refreshing change. I truly believe this for LSU to, like you said, have a grown up and somebody that just has a plan, uh, and and uh, not only just a plan, but one that's succeeded at a pretty darn high level at Notre Dame. So I actually think that it's a right fit uh, for for LSU. It might, there might be some you know uh, rough feathers along the way. There we've already seen that, but I actually think it's going to be a departure from what LSU is kind of used to over the over the years. No, I, I genuinely do agree. I think there's some element of yeah, and I'm with you. I'm not saying Notre Dame's hit their ceiling, but there's some element of I'm just curious to see what Brian Kelly's going to be like when. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be landing number one, two, or three classes in the country, but when he should, by default, be landing, I don't know, you know, three through seven, you know, nationally ranked recruiting classes, like in that range every year. Yeah, I'm just really interested to see 
does he get more of that, or are we actually going to learn his flaws more? It's kind of the ultimate test case. Exactly. Uh, by the way, I, I read that Arch Manning was going to be on campus for an official visit. Is there? Yeah. Uh, is that is that um, within the realm uh, of possibility for for uh, LSU and Arch Manning? Of course, is the nephew uh, of the great Manning brother, quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, Peyton and Eli. Is that within the <laughs> realm of possibility for LSU? In the realm, yes. I mean, I think the, basically the sense I've gotten these past few months is they have done a very good job making up ground, but it's just going to be tough. Like, I would not put any money on them getting Arch Manning. I think it's between Alabama, Georgia, Clemson right now. But, uh, in, or sorry, in Texas right now. But, but yeah, I think they've made up ground. I think they're going to get them on campus. They've done some good stuff. It's just I just don't see it as of now. But it is in the realm. We're talking to Brody Miller. He covers LSU uh, for the athletic uh, college football uh, section. Uh, And Brody, keeping it a little bit more local here uh, with the Raiders, Uh, the Raiders drafted uh, Neil Farrell uh, from LSU, a defensive tackle. You know, I'm not sure he's a star player or anything along those lines, but certainly somebody that I think um, profiles as somebody that might be able to come in and and at least earn a rotational role, uh, maybe sooner rather than later. What are your um, impressions of Neil Farrell? And if we could talk about uh, the career that he had there at LSU. Yeah, I'm actually... we did like a little thing on our podcast. Where we were like, all right, if you take out Stingley, which guy in this weird LSU draft do you think has the best career? And I really am a believer it's Neil Farrell. I, I think Neil Farrell has a lot of upside, and he's somebody who, you know, my hot take during the 2019 title season, because he wasn't technically a starter, but they basically had 60 linemen. They just rotated every series. and They were all really starters, quite frankly. And Neil Farrell, my hot, he was in the second lineup, but – I always believe like he might have been the most productive of all those six. He really was this kind of, you know, explosive pass rusher type and, and, you know, D tackle and 2020, you know, so then he was 2020 was going to be his breakout year. And then his family, you know, his grandmother was really sick with COVID and a lot of his family members were, and basically just to go help take care of them, he opted out. Then, you know, basically once things got under control, he then opted back in about, I want to say it was in October and then kind of like worked his way back into shape, played some, you know, played okay, you know, but like it was just a weird time for everyone, but yep. a weird time for him, of course. So his 2020 year was kind of just you cross it out. And then 2021, he was kind of probably the person most lost in LSU's disaster season was how good he was. I mean, I think pro football focus, I could be wrong on this, but I want to say they had him as the number one highest rated defensive tackle in the country. You know, he and he got zero accolades. It was wild. Not like not even all SEC, not even, you know, nothing. And and he, you know, I don't have the actual like uh percentage numbers from the pressure rates and some of that stuff, but he was one of the best, you know, interior rushers in the country. And he's this guy who I think thrives as that three technique defensive tackle, but I don't think that's all he can do. And he's just, you know, I'm sure there are more consistent players. I'm sure there are guys that maybe are more sound and all that. But he's a guy who just makes plays. He's athletic but strong enough to hold the run. I really do think he has huge potential, and I could be entirely wrong on that. But I think where they got him, I don't know. I feel like that's a high-value pick. Brody, is it safe to say that maybe um, he just kind of got lost in the shuffle in a sort of a – not only a transitional year for USC or LSU, but also you know it was just it was it was a bad season all around, and there was a lot of dysfunction. You can say disastrous. <laughs> okay, disaster. There you go. Um, yeah, you know, with everything that was going on uh, with Coach O uh, and what was happening on the field, and just the uh, you know the the losses piling up. Is this a guy that just got lost in the shuffle a little bit? 
I, I definitely think so. You know, and then like, and then right when he started to maybe get a little bit more of that attention, you know, I mean, Georgia had, you know, what, four, maybe five of the best linemen in the country. I was like, it was just a year where at defensive line, he was, he just seemed like ninth on the pecking order of guys you would point to, even though he might've been as good as a lot of them. And in the world, am I just going to sit here and say he's as good as Jordan Davis, but still he production was that good. And I think he's a, a good character guy. No one's going to say anything bad about him in that sense. And yeah, I, I do agree. He got lost and I'm just really intrigued to see what, you know, what Oakland or, or anyone else could do with him in an NFL setting where they might be able to get more out of him, quite frankly. Where was he in terms of recruiting? Was he one of the big recruits that LSU had or uh, kind of a, uh, you know, flying under the radar type of a guy? Probably more of like that, you know, like top 150, top 200, but not like the big fish, you know, like so above average recruit. He was definitely a four star, you know, like a mid to high four star, but wasn't like a, a top 100 guy. It wasn't a you have to get him, but it was definitely somebody people were pursuing and came in with expectations and then kind of, you know, waited his turn for about two years in, in a pretty deep room at the time, especially. And then kind of come 2019, he finally kind of put it together. And again, it's one of those things because that team was so star studded, he was like, I'm not exaggerating, probably the 20 you would even mention, maybe not even 20. I don't think <laughs> so. It's kind of weird. So like, unless you're like nerds like me, like following every snap, like I just don't think he was on anyone's radar in 2019, even though he was fantastic. And like we said, so I do think he is under, I remember talking to Dane Brugler at the athletic, our draft right. guru. And, and he was like, yeah, he's as good of at kind of creating havoc in the middle as any of these guys in the country. And, he was like, hey, I want to see how he tests, all that stuff. But he's like, this guy could be one of the five or six best d linemen in this class if, if things break right. Very interesting. All right, so uh, <laughs> Derek Stingley Jr., um, were you surprised at how high, um, where he went in the draft? It's tricky. Surprise, no, just because, and he's so hard to discuss because it's like, in a vacuum, if you were just looking at Derek Stingley at his best, his freshman year, for example, he's I think a lot of people would tell you he's the best player in that class. Like, he's number one. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, as you know, there's a lot of ifs. You know, a lot of, is he going to stay healthy? What's going on with, you know, then there's questions of how much does he really want to play? And I wrote a piece kind of disproving some of that. But, yeah, I think you were both, you were simultaneously fair. It's it's reasonable to be like, hey, I don't want to bet my third overall pick on this guy who you're not sure of. Of course, he might get injured again. But I also understand in the draft where there's not that many superstars where it's like this guy if he's healthy is your starting corner for the next 10 years so i'm not surprised but i am you know it's definitely jarring to be like all right they're actually betting on it when you know he was rumored to go 10 or 12 yep no doubt about it brody miller thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle truly appreciate uh you dropping some knowledge uh on neil farrell and i think you made raider nation raider fans pretty darn happy uh with uh with how you described him and maybe you know they found a uh, a, a gem um, at uh, at, a, at a part in the draft where uh, it's hard to find gems. So truly appreciate it, Brody. Take care of yourself. We'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Take care. You got it. That was Brody Miller. He covers LSU uh, for the Athletic. No better person to talk to uh, about Neil Farrell. And it sure sounds like um, you know. And it's not just Brody, uh, but it's it's a lot of people that understand football. 
that understand that this guy was probably a lot better than where he was drafted and maybe just a little bit of a victim of circumstance in terms of what happened to LSU. And I also wouldn't discount what had happened the previous year um, when, you know, he, he first opted out. Uh, in 2020 and then came back eventually that year. That's hard to do, especially at that level of football. Um, So that was kind of a lost year for him uh, as as well. And then what happens in 2021? Well, LSU is just not that good. And the wheels fell off and there's a lot of dysfunction in that program. So maybe the Raiders um, were kind of uh, the beneficiaries uh, of all that. And maybe they found a gem uh, in that round. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bajado Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m. on a Monday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 a.m. You know, it was really funny, uh, Damon, um, talking about Brian Kelly being more of a CEO. Uh, you know, I know Coach O from his time with USC, and um, I had to write a column because he he, he he took over as an interim coach at USC uh, behind um, Lane Kiffin, right, when Lane Kiffin got fired. And they would go on this winning streak, um, and I, I had to write a column that said, USC, do not get, don't be a victim of the moment. You can't not Ed O. He's not the guy, right? And uh, had to write, write this big column. They ended up getting blown out by UCLA uh, in the last game of the season, and that really ended, um, you know, their the pursuit basically, or the possibility that he was going to be the USC coach. I, I I have all the respect for Coach O, uh, but I don't think that he's that guy in terms of running a program at the college level. There's so much that you have to be, you know, on top of. And really, it is, in a lot of ways, a CEO job. And you have to approach it. Hold on, I think he did a pretty good job. I mean, he got the he got the ultimate prize at the end of the day. But two years later, when and a lot of that, some of that was the recruits from the previous regime and all that. And he didn't, <laughs> it was, you know, he had some really good assistant coaches. And obviously, Joe Burrow fell into his lap. Uh, a little bit. They had a, they had a, they had a world class team, and he wasn't necessarily. I, I'd have to see how long he was there if he recruited all those players. But th- it was almost. Here's what I'm going to say: It was almost inevitable that the hand was going to get caught in the cookie jar with him, and he didn't get fired necessarily for lack of success. There was some stuff that were going that was going on in the program, and he just, you know, you can't have a loose ship at that level and i felt like he was the epitome of somebody that would run a loose ship and um and it's going to cost as the program it's going to end up costing you he's just sort of you know uh that that's just that, that it was almost inevitable well Go let's ahead. just say it i think his personal life it was that it was that aspect of it that i think got more out of control than, than, than regardless he, but i'm saying yes. where i think that Maybe if he could have kept sure. some of that more, I think that was more of what was a problem. Yes, for some, there was just... something. It was gonna there, guys like the guys like that are always described to me as this. It's gonna be something, whether it's something that you say, something that you do, something that happens. There's gonna be something that derails it. It's just sort of inevitable. He's a great guy to have as maybe your defensive coordinator or D-line coach, chief, you know, guy that's recruiting and all that. But 
having like the big command of things and running a tight ship uh, in all phases is sometimes, uh, do we have a caller? Is sometimes going to be the problematic. Uh, go for it. All right, we got L.A. Lou on the line. L.A. Lou, you're on the Realty One Group listener line. How you doing, brother? Hey, I, I, I disagree with you on Coach O. Coach oh. O did a wonderful job, man. You can't knock me. You won a national championship. Yeah, everybody's not a CEO. You, you saying that you got to be a CEO? Pete Carroll wasn't no CEO. He had fun. He let the players do whatever they wanted to do when USC was in their prime. You were covering them back then. They mm-hmm. did what they wanted. They held the held the town for you to for you to to to, to tell. Tell me, tell us that Coach O wasn't a good coach. That's ridiculous. I didn't. I didn't say that he wasn't a good coach. Well, I you s- just, you just, you just, you just, um, you just talked about him like he, he won a national championship. Oh, look at how many guys won that national championship at USC the last ten years. Okay, uh, Lou. Then why two years later is he no longer have a job? It, there's a lot of guys get fired all the time. In, in his college. case, that's in his case, of, that's part of that's part of. Hey, Brian got fired. You go look at um, LSU, then fired like three or four just, coaches. Just answer that question though. Why? Why did he though? You, he, he got fired because he, he didn't. He didn't produce on the field. No, it doesn't matter. Right, Demond. And and he only had one. Hold though. on a second, Demond. Why did he get fired? The uh, on the field product was suffering, but he did have the COVID year, so I'd give him that as well. But it, it was definitely more becoming the headache off the field. Yeah, there were there were things that were going on, uh, Lou, and that's what I was talking about with him. It's not necessarily his coaching because I think he's a good coach. It's the, he he's a it, the 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 ship that he runs is tip, and it goes back to go back to when he was at um, what was it Mississippi. Um, there's there, there were recruiting vi- there were violations going on there too. It was if you're USC or if you're a big program like that and you go down his road, something invariably is going to happen, and it did. And that's the only argument that I had. Yes, I felt like he was a good co- coach, but is he the overseer and leader of a program that's going to stay on the right path? I had my doubts, and um, when when he was in the running for USC, and I think that that doubt. Um, was definitely uh, a, a, a factor in what happened at LSU uh, as well. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Monday. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Monday in the huddle brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We're going to go out to uh, the Raider Nation guest line, Raider Nation radio guest line, uh, and bring in Ryan Sakamoto. Uh, he is uh, he, he writes for uh, the Beast Writer Newsletter, uh, and he was nice enough to join us in the huddle today. He wrote a, a couple of nice pieces, one uh, on making sense of the Raiders tra- trading for uh, Jared Sidham. And then also how the Patriot way is coming here and sort of blending and becoming the Raiders way. Uh, Ryan, first of all, thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the love and support. You got it, brother. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's start with uh, trading for Jarrett uh, Sidham. You, you wrote a nice piece kind of breaking it down um, and in a nutshell, um, what are your thoughts on, on the Raiders making that trade? I know it's under the radar, and you know Derek Carr is a durable quarterback, so there's chances are he may never see the field. But in the case that something were to happen, uh, that backup quarterback role gets pretty important pretty quickly, right? Yeah, 
Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, you talk to some of these former quarterbacks who played in the NFL, and they will tell you the best player on the football team, obviously, is the quarterback. The second most important player on the team is the backup quarterback. I mean, you can have the scheme fit. You can have all gas, no break, all two out of three phases. But if you don't have a strong backup quarterback who can pull out some wins in some clutch situations, then your season could be lost in a matter of two to three um, window, right, if you're fighting for that last playoff spot, especially in the AFC West. So this is one of those under-the-radar moves that I love that GM Dave Ziegler made because, one, there's no drop-off in production from a schematic standpoint in learning the playbook, right? Josh McDaniels gets his guy. He worked with them in New England. And you can kind of see, again, going back to the Patriot way, what they're looking for. They're looking for tough, physical, hard-nosed, smart football players, and that's Jared Stidham to a T. All right. Um, so, first of all, did you see this coming, or were you surprised? I wasn't surprised, um, you know, when, when the trade uh, was announced. But, uh, you know, from your perspective, uh, did you see it coming? Was it something that you could have forecasted? No, because you know, when you look at their roster, they already signed Nick Mullins, right? And so, Nick Mullins kind of brings the same exact NFL traits that you look for when comparing him as opposed to Jared Stidham. They're, the problem with those two quarterbacks, and I covered Nick Mullins well with being a beat writer with the 49ers, is his deep throw accuracy, right? He doesn't have that deep ball. But what he does do and what Jared Stidham does very well is they win the short to intermediate passing game. And under Josh McDaniel's system, that's all you really need to do. Just take what the defense gives you. Don't go out of your comfort zone. Don't screw your team over by forcing, force feeding the ball downfield into double coverage. And you can kind of see the quarterback – traits that Josh McDaniels wants and Dave Ziegler wants is they want someone who is not necessarily a game manager, but someone who can understand the system and kind of make uh, kind of make decisions on the fly. And that's what you see from both those quarterbacks. So was it something that I was anticipating? Absolutely not. Because um, like I said, they had Nick Mullins there. Um, but again, they had Garrett, Garrett Gilbert, who they got from New England. But aside from that, you know, I thought this was a smart play because all you're doing really is giving uh, – swapping late-round picks, and let's face it, on any given roster, on any given season, there is once you hit the 6th, 7th-round pick threshold, what are the odds that that 6th or 7th-round pick is going to be a hit and going to make that 53-man roster, let alone the practice squad? So again, you're just swapping one round, and then what you do is you get a stable backup quarterback who already knows the system, and then what people don't I, I broke it down, you know, peeling back another layer of the onion to get to the core is, now you have two sevens, right? So what does Dave Ziegler do? Well, he uses one of the sevens and then uses his charitable asset in Brian Edwards, and then he moves up back into the fifth round with the Atlanta Falcons. So Dave Ziegler is making some sound moves, and the Raider Nation should be nothing but happy to have him in Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those, uh, once it happened, it was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, uh, bringing in, and we had talked to uh, Josh McDaniels in Florida at the owners' meetings about bringing in a young quarterback that knows that, that, that you know, uh, in the future, bringing in young prospects that can learn the system uh, over and over uh, for a period of time and then hope that you get the best version of that quarterback two, three years down the line. Well, that's what Jared Stidham is right now. Um but let me ask you this, from what we've seen so far of Stidham, and last year was a little bit of a lost year for him. Uh, he missed the first half of the season with a back injury, so by the time he got back, uh, obviously Max jo- or, uh, Mac Jones had taken the, the reins and taken the job. But if you back it up a little bit from what you've seen or, uh, of Jarrett on the field, I don't think we've seen the full Jarrett Stidham yet. Um, and I think the, his best fo- football still might be in the future. 
Oh, no, you're 100% correct. You know, when I watch Coach's film, and again, I go back to Auburn, watching his film, dating back to Auburn, and then transitioning into the NFL with the New England Patriots and watching the All-22, you can really see this guy is very intelligent who understands zone coverage. That's one thing that I believe that Josh McDaniels looks for is, okay, can you disguise a cover one, cover three shell, as opposed to a cover two and cover four, or a cover five, right, TT 500 or man underneath. So he does that very extremely well. He knows where to find the soft spots in zone coverage. He does have above-average accuracy, but he does have average arm strength, kind of like with Nick Mullins. So, again, when you talk about what Josh McDaniels wants in his offensive scheme, especially from the quarterback position, these are all NFL traits that you look for. And I think, like, dating back to, you know, Jared Stidham and some of these other guys that we talk about, Nick Mullins and who are center, Derek Carr, they all have that tough, physical, hard-nosed mentality. And I think at the end of the day, you can work with that. Doesn't it also set up a nice battle uh, for the backup quarterback job be, 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 you know, between two guys that you probably have some comfort level uh, with and for? Uh, and then would it surprise you if the Raiders kept all three quarterbacks and let that backup quarterback job be almost a revolving door on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, keeping three quarterbacks is kind of taboo in today's NFL. But again, anything can happen right? Injuries happen all the time, and Derek Carr is one hit away from his season ending, just like any other quarterback, whether it be Jimmy Garoppolo or someone else. So I think it wouldn't surprise me to keep all three quarterbacks and just have like a camp battle between Nick Mullins, like you said, and Jared Stidham, because at the end of the day, what you see from both those guys is the same NFL traits and their strengths and their weaknesses kind of near each other. So if you're looking at, okay, the best, let the best man win, and if it's a camp battle where it's neck and neck, you may just want to hold on to one quarterback because at the end of the day, as you know, there could be a quarterback carousel. Players get hurt all the time. And let's say someone comes calling Jay Z with, hey, we're willing to give up a late round pick or whatever the case may be for Nick Mullins or for Jared Stidham. Are you willing to negotiate? Then you're going to sit at the table and kind of make that decision there because what we're going to see from training camp up until the preseason is a neck and neck battle for that backup position. We're talking to Ryan Sakamoto. Uh, you can follow his stuff, uh, read his stuff at uh, beastwriternfl.com. You can also follow him on Twitter uh, at beastwriter. Uh, Ryan, you also uh, wrote a, uh, a really nice piece on. Uh, the, the the Patriot way making its way to Las Vegas and becoming the new maybe uh, or altered maybe uh, Raider way. First off, when you hear Patriot way, what 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 comes to mind for you? You know, covering and talking to two players who played for Bill Belichick and coming from that coaching tree, uh, you really kind of get a sense of what they're kind of looking for, right? You you look for the FBI or the football intelligence guys who are durable, guys who love football, not just like football. That's one of the things that people don't really like to talk about. But let's face it, I have friends who played in the NFL who are really good players. Some of them were all pro players. They really did not like football. Like, they didn't like it. They would just say, hey, can we talk about anything other than football? I really don't like football. Like, I just do it because it's a 9 to 5. What you look for for the Patriot ways, you look for a person that eats, breathes football without having to hold them accountable for their actions. Like, they're going to be holding themselves to a higher standard. So when you have that cultural identity and you bring that, that Patriot way to the Raider way, now you're kind of bringing in familiar faces, right? Not just on the, the on-field talent that you see with guys like Jared Stidham, but you're also seeing guys on the back end, right? Guys who are working now in the scouting department, like Lenny McGill, right? These guys all buy into the cultural identity of the team. Lenny McGill, right? One of the hardest workers out there. Like, he's going to be – you don't have to tell him what to do. I mean, he's been doing it for years. So 
when you when you kind of build that cultural identity from the top down, because everything starts from the top from the management position, it has a trickle down effect. And so, that, when you look for the Patriot way, that's what you look for. You look for guys that love freeze, like football, guys who are coachable, guys who are not me first, but team first, and guys who really buy into what the coaches are asking you to do, even though it goes against maybe your unconventional wisdom and what you've been taught to leading up to your NFL career. And Ryan, um, I don't know uh, about you, but I've gotten some pushback uh, at times on social media because I think Raider fans, Mm -hmm. they don't want to hear about the Patriots way. Um, Obviously, they want to hear about the Raiders way. And what I've kind of cautioned them or advised them is saying it's it's not the Patriot way. There will be some elements of the Patriot way, but I think the ultimate goal is to figure out a new Raider way. It's going to eventually become the Raider way. They're just bringing some principles of a winning formula that they that they worked under in New England. And I would argue, uh, Ryan, and, and you can poke holes in this if you want, but I would argue uh, that part of the new Raider way was um, uh, personified by some of the moves that they made this offseason. I don't think the Patriots go out and get Chandler Jones the way the Raiders did. I don't think the Raiders or the Patriots go out and trade Dev- for Devontae Adams the way the Raiders did. So I think that there's some spin that Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels are, are putting on it in a very Raider way with some Patriot principles. What do you think about that? Yeah, you made some great points. I did, like in my newsletter, I said I wasn't expecting Chandler Jones or Devontae Adams to be on the Raiders roster. I just didn't see that happening if that was truly the Patriot way. What people and what Raider Nation need to understand is when we, no matter what career we're in, right, we're always learning and always striving to learn to improve ourselves in whatever career aspect we're in. So whether that's taking a little bit from here and a little bit from there and kind of formulating your own, that's, is, that's what the Raider way is all about. That's what GM Dave Ziegler is about. When you call it the Patriot way, it's not like we're piggybacking on the Raider, you know, oh, well, we're copying the Patriots. No, you're bringing what Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels truly believe is the core of a winning football team, Right. And how do you do that? Well, look at the Patriots. They win. Like, I don't care what anyone says. They win. Like them or hit them. They win. So when you bring that into the, into the fold and then you talk again, doubling down on those games about the Patriot way and the Raider way, well, the Raider way, let's talk about Alex Leatherwood, right? He was not drafted by Dave Ziegler, but he most likely will be inserted at guard. Why? Because just like GM Nick Casario, who comes from the Bill Belichick Patriot way, who is now the GM of the Houston Texans, he wants his best five on the field. That's what they call it. They want their best five on the field, right? Now, you can call it the Patriot way, the Raider way, the Texans way. It don't really matter because you want your best five on the field, especially down in the trenches on the offensive side of football, and that's what you're getting with Dave Ziegler. So I know Raider Nation doesn't like that and saying, oh, well, we're the Raider way. As opposed to, look, as long as it's winning football games and you're doing it the right way, I don't care what you call it. Ryan, uh, we've seen one draft uh, under Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. Obviously, you have to throw Devontae Adams uh, into that prominently because uh, he uh, cost them a first and second round pick. So so he was their first and second round pick, and I think Raider Nation would be happily accept that uh, at, at this point. So, uh, But beyond that, um, Dylan Parham, Neil Farrell, Matthew Butler, uh, Thayer Munford, uh, Britton Brown, uh, what did you make of, of the Raiders draft uh, and this first draft with limited resources, obviously, uh, under Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. Yeah, again, I wrote this in my newsletter. I, I gave him a grade of an A, and that's not me being biased. I mean, I, I really like what Dave Ziegler is doing here. And you look at it, right? You don't have a first or second, like you said, but you get Devontae Adams. I mean, that's a win for anyone. And then in the third round, you double down on that. And again, this goes back to the Patriot way. You came from the inside out. What did they do? They went out and got Dylan Parham, created him, 
posted some film up of David Parham, and I really like what he brings to the table. He's going to be fighting for a starting job, whether it be with Alex Leatherwood or someone else. But Dylan Parham is going to be a long-term, stable interior offensive lineman. And I heard a lot of good things from NFL scouts, on, not with the Raiders, obviously, but from other scouts around the league. And they really liked Dylan Parham. They thought that he was climbing up the draft board late. Um, and by late, I don't mean like leading up to the draft. I mean in like December, January time. So Dylan Parham was, was a nice pickup for them. In the fourth round, I really like what they did when they traded up for a guy for Neil Farrell, the nose tackle. You got to remember they're transitioning in the Patrick Graham from a 4-3 base to, to a 34 odd man front. And you need a two gap space eater, right? You need defensive linemen who can two gap and space eat. And that's what Neil Farrell brings to the table. So getting him in the fourth round and my good friend Andre Carter coached Neil Farrell while at LSU. So he's going to be hopping on my YouTube channel and we'll be talking about Neil Farrell. But I really like what Neil Farrell brings to the table because at the end of the day, from what Andre is telling me, he has all the work ethic and all the tools to really succeed at the NFL level. He's really excited for his rookie season. Uh, I agree with you, and that was very well said. Last question for you, uh, and appreciate the time, uh, Ryan. And by the way, you could follow or you could read his stuff over at BeastRiderNFL.com, uh, and I uh, suggest that you do uh, and go ahead and subscribe. Uh, it's very well. It's, it's definitely uh, worth it. Um, we saw the trade for Brian Edwards of Brian Edwards, I should say, uh, on Friday. Um, I'm sure that caught some people by surprise, but I think at the end of the day, there's a numbers game going on in a very crowded wide receiver room. Somebody had to go. They found a little bit of something <laughs> uh, for Brian Edwards. But uh, uh, level of surprise, Ryan, uh, when, when the Raiders uh, made the move to trade Brian Edwards. Not surprised at all because, one, it's not a Ziegler pick. Now, now, I'm not saying because it wasn't a Ziegler pick, that's why he traded him. But when you look at their roster, right, there's only so many balls, like you just pointed out, echoing your analysis, to go around. You have Darren Waller, you have Hunter Renfro, and now you have Devontae Adams. Those are your top three meat and potato wide receivers. All right, so the fourth guy, the fourth receiver, let's throw Darren Waller in as a receiver because let's not get it twisted. He is a receiver. Uh, when you have those three guys there, there's only so many balls to go around. So that fourth guy, you're going to want between the 20s being that vertical deep threat. That's what Brian Edwards gives you. But, but you already signed Keelan Cole. You have Demarcus Robinson who can play that vertical game you saw it with the Kansas City Chiefs for many years. And I think those two guys are going to play admirably because let's face it, how many targets are these guys going to get in a given season? Not very many. But when you ask someone to run the full route tree, you're not asking these guys outside as a split end to run the full route tree. You're just asking them, to run a seven, eight, nine banger, which is those deeper routes. And so what that does is that puts pressure on the secondary, especially the safeties. But at the end of the day, okay, well, we're not asking you to run, you know, a dig route or a crossing route or a scissor route we're asked, or an option route like Hunter Renfro. You're, you're just asking to run these simple concept routes to maybe be a decoy at times. So in my estimation, I thought it was a smart move because, again, what Dave Ziegler did and what people tend to forget is in the 2023 NFL draft, he's setting himself up. What he did was he traded, again, it all started with the Jared Stidham trade. Right? You swap late-round picks and you pick up a seven. Then you trade Brian Edwards and that seven. You still have a seven of your own, and then you move up to a fifth. I mean, that's a huge – you're talking about draft position that up the wazoo. That's going to be beneficial for them because now what they can do, they can maneuver that draft board on day two how they see fit. So I really like what Dave Ziegler did. I know the Raider Nation isn't happy about it. Um, especially the Raider fans that I spoke with. But at the end of the day, it does make sense. And if I was GM Dave Ziegler, I would make the same move. 
It was a pleasure, Ryan Sakamoto. Thank you very much. Uh, we won't be strangers. We'll be talking to you uh, again down the road. Truly appreciate it. And again, you could follow him at Beast Writer um, uh, on, on Twitter, and I suggest you do. Uh, Ryan Sakamoto, thank you very much, man. Uh, have a great day and a great week. Uh, thank you for having me. You guys have a good one, right? You too. You too. Uh, that was Ryan Sakamoto bringing some heat uh, and some really good takes and uh, intelligent takes. And uh, I have a feeling that we're going to be hearing again uh, from Ryan uh, down uh, the road. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Monday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Our thanks again uh, to Ryan uh, Sakamoto. Uh, Had some nice uh, things, uh, nice observations and thoughts on what the Raiders have done so far and the directions uh, that they the direction uh, that they are headed. It's not just the Patriot way, but I mean if you're going to try to build a foundation, uh, not a bad foundation uh, to build emulating and taking some principles away from one of the greatest winning organizations in the last two decades that there is in sports period. Uh, all right, Demon Cotton, uh, we are not going to wait any longer. The Western and Eastern Conference Finals of the NBA start this week. Uh, We've got the Miami Heat against the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors against everybody's pick to get there, Uh, the Dallas Mavericks. Um, A, are you surprised at any of these matchups? And B, who do you got and why? Oh, I'm very surprised by the Dallas Mavericks reaching the Conference Finals. Did not expect Dallas to be there. To be be quite honest, once they went down 2-0 to Phoenix, I thought they, they were possibly going to get swept. Yeah. And yeah, I really is, felt well, that their sons were acting it. like that. Yeah, so for them to come back and then make it to the Western Conference Finals, I am very surprised by yeah. the Dallas Mavericks. But I do think that the buck stops here. Okay, they're not going to go past the Golden State Warriors. I think that Golden State is going to handle them. Maybe a six-game series, but okay. if it goes seven, I would be shocked by that as well. But I do think that the Golden State Warriors, that their offensive input, I do think that it's just going to be too much. We've seen so far the Grizzlies couldn't stop them, and I do think that that Grizzlies team was very well matched to yeah. maybe stop Golden State. Right, they did help; they held their own. But I do think that this Golden State Warriors team is going to be too overpowering for this Mavericks team. And I'm not going to say luck, but that luck that the Mavericks are displaying—I know that the defense has been there, but they need sometimes it's going to be—you don't know who that other is going to be for the Dallas Mavericks right. on every game uh, yeah. basis. Is it going to be Spencer Dinwiddie? Is it going to? Brunson, who's going to be that other top scorer besides Luka Doncic? Because once that the, the series settles in, like you said, Draymond Green, the the Warriors are going to be able to throw bodies at him, and Luka still yeah. may get his thirty. But but who else is on that team is going to provide twenty each game for them to win four games? I just don't see it happening. So I'm going to take the Golden State Warriors. Real quick, right there, because I want to just back it up one second. Uh, in one of the great what ifs right now, and I've been thinking a lot about this the last 24 hours or so. What if the Suns had drafted Luca? A pairing of him and Devin, oh my! That's that might be. I don't think it works. Oh, I do. I absolutely do. Because I think that I, I think I think both of them are giving players. Like I don't think that they're takers, and I think that they would under, especially like a, a Devin played at a Kentucky where it was a collaboration and had understood that and has understood that from a from an early age. Luca going back to the European style and what he was brought up on. I mean, he wasn't even a very big, he wasn't a big scorer in Europe. A lot of it was because he was the youngest guy on the team all the time. But he's not. He's just not wired that way. I think they would play off. Why don't you think that that would work? 
I don't think that it's going to work because you've got two wing two wing players who are primarily not really focused on defense, and then both guys need the ball in the hands. What you what Luke, what people don't mention a lot is that his usage rate is just astronomical. Sometimes like, oh, he's like LeBron didn't average these numbers. Mike didn't average these numbers because even in these guys' primes, two of the greatest to ever do it, they still didn't have the ball as much that Luca has it. And with, I his, think, with his possessions. But don't you think that with um, a, a different player alongside him, like a Devin, that that would that they would be, the coaches would understand that and be able. Now you can switch it off and give it to Devin, and and it would be you would get less usage, which over the course of his career is probably going to help him uh, because you can you have a dependable guy like not just a dependable but an all star uh, in Devin, so that might change that dynamic a little bit because I can't think of anyone that he's really played with. Luca that rises to Devin's level, like where you were. I don't know. I feel like some players, it's just hard to find a good number two to like who wants to play with a player like that. And I'm not saying that. Let's, we saw it with Iverson. Iverson, fantastic player, right? But was there ever do, do people? Because we always want to put in theory, who wouldn't want to play with Luca, right? But there's a reason why you don't want to play with Luca because if you see yourself as another top ten player, you don't want that style. Look at James Harden. That's the more that's the more comparable fit. Oh, who does he play like? James Harden. And who was running like was anybody running to go play with James Harden? You're saying Luca plays like yes. James? Oof, I don't see it. When it comes to it, I'm gonna hold the ball, the buck stops with me. But I think I think James is truly wired that way. I think if you gave um, No, I we don't see it with Luca. We don't know. But and just go back to when he was in Europe. That's yeah, he, he, he's years a old. completely what's Every, that? No, everyone's a different player when you're eighteen years old. Yeah, but I mean but he also understands like he was winning championships uh in Spain playing on the best team. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, quickly on. Uh, I, I agree with you on the Warriors. Uh, your pick in uh, the Buck or the uh, Celtics against the Heat. Miami Heat. Me too. I'm hoping for Jimmy Butler to win a championship. By the way, and I'm a big uh, Spolster guy as well. All right. Uh, thank you to Demon Cotton. Welcome back. Uh, I appreciate you uh, more now than ever. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. We're back at it tomorrow, four to six p.m. in the huddle. Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m.